0: Thank you. I uh, heard about doing this speech last night, and uh, when somebody asked you to speak to this kind of a distinguished group, as a father of seven kids, it's like uh, Dracula going to the blood bank. <laughs> it's, uh, I met some. I've, I've been very, very proud of being in this organization. uh, Ray Charles brought me in in 1984. It's about 17 years. And as years go by, it astonishes me more and more. Uh, This year probably tops it all off. I don't know what happened in Poland last year, but uh, I've met some of the students. I've read up about all of them. Because the difference is, the kids we had before are the ones that are coming out of high school going on to college. These kids have already, through college, and I have never seen anything like it in my life, ranging from Norwegian Fulbright scholars going to John Hopkins, Filipino students going to Harvard or, or Stanford, uh, Rhodes scholars, American Rhodes scholars going to Oxford. It's just outstanding, and I've met a lot of them. And I, I congratulate you all. I'd like everybody to give this group a round of applause. They're going to run the world. <coughs> Please. They really are. And uh, as I said, being a father of seven, it's it's very difficult to. Uh, uh, I'm in the middle of writing a book now. It's the first time I've ever looked back in my life to see what happened. And uh, at 67, I was afraid to really grow up. I didn't want to grow up, and uh, I've never really had to deal with it till one night. And uh, New York, I was looking at a Broadway show, and it was one of those kind of a free-form shows where the, where the uh, performers walk around and talk to the audience. And one young kid from Chicago looked at me and said, Pops, and I looked around. I didn't know he was talking to me. So I uh, have finally had to deal with, uh, uh, maybe I might have to grow up a couple of years, and outside of getting free bus rides and getting the movies free and back going out more than I do, uh, I'm enjoying it a lot. And uh, I wanted to talk today a little bit about attitudes. Uh, they, the kids today are dealing with many different diversified type of professions. As a musician, I started out, I mentioned earlier, as a very poor kid in Chicago. Lost my mother to a mental institution when I was five. And had to find uh, travel a traveler, kind of a very different kind of a road because a man, John Bradshaw, told me once that a kid has to have nine to 18 months of nurturing love and guidance between a male and female caretaker to keep, before the age of nine, to keep that hole from being in you that you have to fix until you, to the end of your life. Well, I've been in the process of trying to fix it. Uh, my only other brother, I lost him two years ago. He took the pain right here, and we lost him. And somehow, uh, Dr. Dean on show, I think Andrew Wiles, a good friend of his, he came up to try to attend my brother. Just, there is a point here. Um, he said, you found a way to transfer all of the needs for the mother thing into your music. And it probably if you came from a good family, you would probably be in a lot of trouble. Well. Uh, I've tried to do the best I can, and I've uh, uh, started out as a musician and realized the importance of being underestimated. (laughs) I think I got a lot of things done by being underestimated. And the uh, curiosity pulled me through from a trumpet player to an arranger to piano uh, to getting involved in big band orchestration into films, Wanted to write for films. Ever since I was 15, didn't get a shot. They didn't have many black composers back then until about 1963, I did my first film, uh, The Pawnbroker*. And bit step by step, you try to use the principles in your life to get from A to B to C. Uh, I started with, I got involved with uh, pop music. 1963, the first pop hit coming out of jazz, which was not uh, very smart thing to do if you come out of the jazz world is to do a pop hit with Leslie Gore, because it was a challenge. It's my party in 1963. It gave me another insight. And I guess the curiosity just kept everything coming. After that, I finally got my first movie shot, a second movie shot, and went to Hollywood, worked with Frank Sinatra as an arranger, composer, and Count Basie, and finally got to Europe. And I think uh, I got to Europe with, uh, to work the first time with Lionel Hampton in 1953. But the second time, I moved there uh, to work with Barclay Records and study with Nadia Boulanger. Now, Nadia was amazed, one of the most amazing influences in my life. She told me a few things that most American composers, like Paul Glass and Copeland and so forth, come over to write the Great American Symphony. She said, you have the most incredible aura in your own country, and you should go home and mind that. And at that time, she told me this story about uh, Ravel bringing Gershman to her, and she said he made too much money for him to teach. So I I studied with her for about five years, and I started to understand some of the principles that she was trying to let me understand, such as, you only have freedom in your music when you set up the parameters. Total, And coming from a, a, a jazz musician listening to that, couldn't really deal with that then and how Melody was king, et cetera. And one day she introduced me to Igor Stravinsky and I almost lost it. I didn't think he was a human being. And she says, why are you acting so silly? We had a wonderful relationship. She would schedule me in late at Fontainebleau after everybody else, and I'd take a bottle of wine. And she loved American canned peaches. And we used to eat, uh, have peaches and drink wine and talk about Charlie Parker, which is very strange for a naughty boulanger. And she said, I can't get into Charlie Parker because he, pl- he plays jazz, and that means sometimes it's going to be very, very good, but sometimes it's going to be very, very bad. But I kept made her listening to it. She kept listening to it over and over and over. And after the Stravinsky incident, she said, why are you acting so silly when you meet Igor? I mean, I said, what are you, I've never seen you like this before. I said, this man is a genius. And she said, like they do in France. <laughs> That's a stupid word. She says, if you must use that word, it should be used to describe someone who has attained the very height of sensation, feeling, believing, attachment, and knowledge. And she also said it also means someone that has the ability, the one we call her, the ability to discern that which is important. And those words burned in my soul. And that curiosity, I guess, well, I hope I can not, not have to grow up and keep that in me the rest of my life. Um, it took me back to the United States to dive into almost everything. In, in film scoring, as you said before, 50 film scores. And then I even went further and said, maybe out of uh, necessity, I tried to produce a Duke Ellington special. I was having difficulty with raising money and also production companies. So we finally did it, and we did a, a show called uh, Duke We Love You Madly. I got my feet wet, so I'd like to keep doing this. And on and on, we tried uh, shows like uh, the, the, the theme songs for Ironside, Sanford and Son, et cetera, um, and then got into uh, shows like producing shows like uh, uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and, and having to make the choice, and that's the real point, here, is to make the choice before you see what the results are of saying, Will Smith is a rapper, and they're going to freak out when they see him, but he's to, he can do this, and he can go all the way through. And sure enough, we got the idea for Fresh Prince and so we went out and gave a pitch to Brandon Tartycoff and little Littlefield. Two hours later, they called up and they said, tomorrow morning, you we, we have to talk to 900 sponsors and tell them that you're a family man and rappers are not dangerous. Now, number one, it's funny already thinking that Will could be dangerous because Will's not as far away as, far, as, as, as anybody could be from being a dangerous rapper. Uh, 10 weeks later, because there was no time for paralysis from analysis, we were on the air with the show. And what Will's done in six shows in six years has just been unbelievable. He went from a $20,000 uh, actor to a $20 million movie star. Uh, and these things kept teaching me this lesson. If you don't have the person that nurtures you, you have to discover this for yourself. So you end up understanding that if you take a step of defeat, you retreat. And if you get a step of victory, it makes you take giant steps and keep on taking giant steps until you, there's nothing that scares you anymore. The same thing happened when we uh, uh, casted. A lady I saw on television at 9.15 one morning uh, in Chicago, while doing a, 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 a testimony for Michael Jackson plagiarism suit, uh, Miss Oprah Winfrey. And uh, she took it all the way home. She said if she got a nomination in, in the uh, uh, Color Purple, the King Brothers, et cetera, would take her all the way to victory. I, and they did. And I've always taken great pride in, in uh, and astonishment in seeing what happens, you know, when you have to make a guess, a group of people have to make a guess, is this the real stuff, and what makes this different from anything else, and how many mistakes you can make. I uh, can only express my appreciation for being here, to be able to share Uh, there's moments with the young people, because you've got a big job out there, very big job. I know you're going to handle it. Uh, We've got not one revolution in front of us now, but three probably, with biotechnology, with information technology, and nanotechnology looking for us. You know all about that. It's new for for me. The the computer was probably around to keep all of the 30-year-old people out of the way. My seven-year-old daughter walks through the the computer. But I am very fascinated with it. Uh, It has a potential to hopefully change a lot of things in the world. We had a wonderful experience uh, uh, in South Africa about two months ago. Uh, uh, Nelson Mandela asked me to come down to host uh, an event with his HIV-AIDS kids in the north of uh, South Africa. So we took a delegation of people down, Lisette uh, uh, Deroot, she's the head of my foundation. And we took five gangbangers with us from Los Angeles. The theme was from South Central to South Africa. And it was a dangerous experiment. It could have been. It could have started another crack ring in our South Africa, or if it worked, it turned everybody around. Fortunately, they went over with us. And they met Mandela, they cried when they met him. We went on to Johannesburg, where we had promised to do a hundred homes for him with Habitat for Humanity. They started to work on helping to build these homes. They cried again. They had never seen poverty like this before. They thought, a lot of them told me that they were feeling sorry for themselves when they left, but they saw this and they had a whole different attitude. We went to Robben Island. They saw the cell, cell number five, where Madiba was, and it was an amazing experience. Uh, During that time, and I'll leave this idea of of you talking about taking a giant step. Because if it can work, I asked Mandela if I could meet the Minister of uh, Education on the South African. And we met for about a half an hour. We suggested uh, if we could have his blessings and the land to maybe try to take 35,000 Indian high-tech experts from India and move them to South Africa. We, we did three computer centers while we were there. But to really do it on a bigger scale, the idea gave us a little bit more courage to try it even further. Uh, I said, I need your blessings and the land, if we can accomplish this. He said, yes. I talked to some other friends that are in the high tech when I got back to France, like people like Paul Allen and Craig McCaw. Uh, to see how they'd respond to it because they're, actually they're going to help us implement this. And Craig paused for a minute and he said, it's the best idea I've ever heard. And went back to Los Angeles two months later, and uh, I've been on the board of, uh, of uh, NetAid, which is a combination of the people from We Are The World, and Band-Aid, like Bono, and Bob Geldof. The new elements are the UN, Kofi Annan, and Mark Mallard-Brown, and Cisco. Um, Amakai dealt with a system for our first website that was 60 million hits an hour. I couldn't even believe those numbers. And we were lucky enough to have uh, uh, Tony Blair, President Clinton, and Nelson Mandela make the first three hits. And we got 45 45 million hits in 45 minutes. Not asking for money, but just people to help fight the HIPC uh, third world debt and try to relieve the poverty thing. Anyway, to make a long story short there, I spoke with John Chambers of Cisco, who was working with us about this idea. He said, not only do I like the idea, but I'm going to India in January, and I will screen the Indian experts for you to text. I will give you our training program, and I'll help raise the money and so forth. He says, all I need is the land. And I said, we already have the land. So that's a success story, because in January, we start on this, because I think If South Africa doesn't have an economic foundation, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. And I think they're symbolic of some of the highest morals. Uh, Nelson Mandela represents the highest morality that I've ever witnessed in my life. Um, In closing, I'd like to say to all you young guys, I'm glad (laughs) it's in your hands, finally. And I'd like to suggest, presumptuously, there's a, a couple of books I noticed are probably going to be a part of your lives. You're probably familiar with them already. Because it deals with the spirituality and the morality and just modus operandi of how things are going to have to be done in the future. One, the name of one is the Train Manifesto. There's another one called The Tipping Point. Another one called Blown to Bits. The Age of Spiritual Machine by Ray Kurzweil. And one of my heroes and and very strong influences in my life, uh, uh, Dr. Marvin Minsky uh, at MIT. I was asked to speak there one time. And uh, one thing you learn by being older is you can't remember everything, so you you learn how to shut up a little earlier. But I uh, uh, was in front of that audience, and I saw Negroponte and Alan Kay and all these other people. And I said, this was a great idea six months ago. How did I get here? And that's what I'm gonna leave you with. Thank you very much. (laughs)